Hello, it's Romy Baloney, and I just wanted to let you know that today, June 15th of 2023, marks our one-year birthday of doing hyperfixations and being excited about things and learning about things and, uh, yeah, totally 30, 45 minutes. And so I wanted to invite you personally to our birthday party, and that is tonight, if you're listening to this on June 15th, 2023, um, at moonshot.mov at 8.30 Eastern Time. Uh, we're going to have a little birthday party. We're going to have a little cake. We're going to have a few presents and surprises and just have a good time. So come join us. And if you're listening to this anytime after June 15th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, there will be a VOD somewhere in the universe, probably either on Moonshot YouTube or the hyperfixation YouTube. Either way, there will be a video and there will be a wonderful time. So we look forward to uh, celebrating another year. Um, happy birthday to us. And thank you for supporting us. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being wonderful. We love you. Now go drink some water, be safe, and listen to the episode. Thank you. Video games. Books. Movies. Anime. Long ago, the hyperfixation talked about animated series. Then everything changed when we got to season three. Only an animated series, master of all four mediums, could fix this. A few weeks have passed, and my co-host and I discovered a new guest host, a moonshot host named Kiefer. Although his Avatar The Last Airbender knowledge is great, he still has a whole episode to get through before Romy learns anything. But I believe Kiefer could teach me everything. What's your answer? Yeah, that's what I'd say too. How am I supposed to convince these people I'm on their side? What would uncle do? Zuko, you have to look within yourself to save yourself from your other self. Only then will your true self reveal itself. Oh, even when I'm talking for him, I can't figure out what he means. to the hyperfixation where my friends come onto our show and tell us about things that excite them for 30 to 45 minutes. My name is Roma. I use the they and them pronouns. Today, I'm joined by Kiefer. Hi, I'm Kiefer. I use he and him pronouns. Hello. I'm so excited for you to be here. I remember when your podcast was announced on the network and I was like, I need this person on my podcast as soon as possible. <laughs> That's very sweet. I'm excited to be here, especially since, you know, I get to talk about something practically uninterrupted and it's something that has, you know, fundamentally changed the way that my brain chemistry works. So yeah, I think, I think honestly, the series has done that for many of us in our childhoods. Um, but let's see. So before we, we get into, the topic for today. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, you and your show, um, Select and Start. Oh, so I'm the host, editor, promoter, everything, basically. 
of Select and Start, which is now part of the Moonshot Network. Uh, on that show, I invite people to talk to come onto my show and talk about a video game that they find personally meaningful and memorable. If they have, if I have played the game before, that makes prep work super easy. If they haven't, I play the entire game so I can engage with them on Yo. as close to their level as possible. But it is an incredible experience because I talk to people from all sorts of different um, levels. In terms mm -hmm. of video game experience, I've had people who are published authors who have books written about video games. I've had people who are very new to video games. I've had people who are Twitch streamers. I've had people who are lifelong gamers. I've had people who just are mainly interested in other stuff, but they also play video games as well and just wanted to talk about it. And it's just it's a great time. Uh, Select and Start is kind of my pride and joy. I am super happy that it was considered good enough to be a part of any network, much less this wonderful Moonshot network, which has been super gracious and kind to me while letting me be super free in my creative endeavors. So mm -hmm. that it's just been an incredible experience and I hope as many people listen to Select and Start as possible. Absolutely. And honestly, I, I encourage all of uh, the listeners here at the Hyperfix to go check out select and start um because it's it's an absolute honor to have you on the network um and i'm excited to see the, your show grow um as time moves on uh, <laughs> definitely <yeah. laughs> me too uh it's, it's been great and it's just great because it's a space because i love video games but in my real life everyday day-to-day -day experience i don't have as many people who are as into video games as me so just having a space where somebody can gush about something and i can get to know that person better through the medium of video games where I can just vent about my video game experiences and complain about how inaccessible video games are becoming because of obsolete technology, any space where I can just do that. And they're all like actually caring and interested to hear what that means. Mm -hmm. It's great. Oh, I, I love to hear that. That's I, and I resonate that resonate with that a lot, especially with how this show is structured because there's a, there's a great deal of, of things in this world that I do not know about. And so to be able to give somebody that space to just be excited and just drop all of their knowledge Legos on be like, check this shit out um, <laughs> and be able to discuss the good, the bad, the amazing about whatever that thing is, um, has been so enriching for me. And because um, like with my with my childhood, I'm not going to go into a whole deep ordeal, but um there was a lot of financial issues as to why I couldn't buy a lot of books or, or not books, uh, a lot of, I couldn't see a lot of movies. I couldn't play a lot of video games or I didn't have cable. So I couldn't watch certain TV shows. Um, or I have a hard time reading books because of how my brain functions. And so to be able to hear about these things is just so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. You're, you're, you're sort of, nursing something that you didn't really have before and opening yourself up to connect with people based on their shared interests. I think it's a very lovely premise. Yes. And um, on the flip side of that, there's so many people are told, hey, you're you're talking too much about this topic. <laughs> like, I can't sit here and keep listening to you. I'm like, this is their love language. They're sharing something very beautiful and vulnerable that they love with you. To imagine that somebody would shut that down just breaks my heart. And so I'm like, no, please. Tell me more. Keep talking. Like, that's my whole life. I, the, all the people I live with, it's a drive-by hyperfixation almost every day. And I'm like, oh, well, I've learned a lot about 2K23. And, <laughs> you know, I'm fine now. <laughs> I'm happy. No, yeah. I but, mean, this is, I mean, this is also a format where you're just used to listening. So people who are totally down to listen to somebody just vent about something. It's very, it's therapeutic for the person 
who is just venting about whatever, but it's also great for the listener to just be able to take it in, I guess. Absolutely. But um, let's see. So um, we've talked about uh, you and Select and Start. Is there any other projects that you do aside from your podcast? Oh, big question. Uh, with uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I am also on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Kiefer's Corner. On that channel, I have two, wait, now three videos on it total. The first one is an almost hour-long video complaining about the Netflix Cowboy Bebop adaptation. It's called The Evil Within <laughs> Netflix's oh, no. Cowboy Bebop. And it's not strictly about that. It's more about... Uh, artistry of animation and the very specific art form that it is and how mm -hmm. brands are just sort of you know frivolously just adapting things into the live action format without really the considerations of both mediums and things like that it's a lot of complaining about the disney live action formula it's just a lot of complaining about ip streaming mm -hmm. things like that and uh yeah no i mean that paid off to the tune of fifty thousand. if you also look it's just two very short videos where I'm just like editing music over footage of the movies that I liked in a particular year or mm -hmm. uh, John Arbuckle from Garfield just dancing to the Jujutsu Kaisen ending theme song. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah. such a good, like well-rounded YouTube channel so far. <laughs> no, it's great. If you want to watch a hour long video about uh, how bleak the current media landscape is i have that for you if you just want to see garfield i have that as well <laughs> we're set you're ready to go you're eating mm -hmm. I, ha oh I have it's it's for everybody as long as you like those two specific things don't worry i do like those two specific things <laughs> fantastic <laughs> uh, so yes. there's that and i'm also on twitter at danny vegito that's probably where i spend most of my online energy unfortunately i'm you know, trying to transfer over to other social media, you can find me on Blue Sky if you have access to that as well at Daddy Vegito. Uh, what is other, Blue Sky? But yeah, what is Blue Sky? Yeah. Uh, so Jack from formerly of Twitter has done like an a beta for the new website that he's launching. That's basically just Twitter. <laughs> uh, oh, so, but I got an invitation to it uh, through a friend who got on there early, and now it's just a bunch of us uh, on a website that virtually nobody uses and it's just kind of spitting into the wind but it's pretty entertaining because there's no constant discourse on twitter and it's not it's only run by a kind of insane billionaire instead of like the most insane billionaire who's ever lived so there's that true yeah oh you know that's a whole that's a whole episode of its own just talking about the fall of twitter but that's not what we're here to talk about thank today. god <laughs> <laughs> um so we uh wait is there anything else that you would like to mention that you do creatively before i i, I run us to another department i'll just say not yet <laughs> well then we'll be ready when you are fantastic we're on hold but um so i know you've come here today to tell me about the wonderful animated series avatar the last airbender and i'm very curious because i'm sure it's very similar to a lot of our um beginnings with that show but how did this hyperfixation start for you uh so the show started airing in february of 2005 so i would say it started beginning in february of 2005 uh i was hey, I, I watched the premiere uh i was in third grade at this point uh i was born in 96 it aired early in 2005 so that put me at eight turning nine uh so from that very first episode and this show aired on nickelodeon which is definitely a weird kind of channel for it because 
the early 2000s was like anime is starting to take off, mm -hmm. but it hasn't really like become the sort of industry in America that it is now where you can go into basically any store with toys or just any kind of grocery store and see an anime character at this point. Like you can see anime stuff in Walmart now. That wasn't really the yeah. case uh, just 18 years ago. I just um, want to mention, I saw Hawaiian board shorts that had Naruto from Shippuden all over them at Target, and my mind was blown. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I was like seeing, I was observing this the other day, just uh, kids shirts of Naruto characters and stuff on it. And I'm like, this wasn't around when I was a kid. I was this bullied is... for this 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now it's just normal. kind of, yeah, it's it's pretty normal. I'm not... Uh, Which is great. It's first of all, I want to say that's great that it's normalized now, but it's just, you know, from that trauma from the past, I'm like, hey, yo. Yeah, I, I was bullied as a kid, but it was never really for the media I consumed. It wasn't my fault that I was bullied. I don't, I don't want cut that part out. <laughs> I will. But, yeah, no, but like, uh, I totally get it. People used to be bullied for, you know, observing things. And now like the needle has kind of turned on that. And now I just am resentful of all these nerdy things existing because it feels <laughs> overwhelming. And now it's, uh, losing something that it had when it was still new and exciting yeah um but let's see what was the um oh no my brain is short-circuited i've been out in the sun for too long oh god i i went to the pool for like six hours today the child wanted to go to the pool was that good um it was very good but i have been in the sun for too long totally touched too much grass I touch too much grass. I need oh more God, computer. Oh, God, they touch too much grass. <laughs> Got to go back and look at the screens. <laughs> um, so, Nickelodeon, so it started with you with Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. yeah, day no, one premiere. Um, and did you watch it, like the new episodes every, I don't know if it came out every Friday, but that sounds like a right day for it. But were you there every day for it? Or did you get like the box set and watch through all of them? Like, how did that look for you? I watched most of them either live or the day after this is pretty hard because as a kid you just sort of have a bunch of like weird extracurricular activities that your parents make you do yeah so like i was going to like taekwondo classes and the whole time i'm thinking i'd rather be watching avatar on tv right now but okay i guess fine um i'll go to soccer oh no i'm gonna learn something that'll probably pay off in years to come but no i don't want to watch my little tv show that i can't stop thinking about and hey i don't do taekwondo anymore and i still talk about avatar the last airbender so who was right dad <laughs> um <laughs> no but this is uh, a series that fundamentally changed how i engage with art and media and the other thing with Naruto, not Naruto. the other thing about avatar is it wasn't super well promoted by nickelodeon in the sense that like it didn't have reruns on the level of something like spongebob where like it was on all the time you had to like sort of catch it uh maybe like half an hour at a time on a weekend uh so it wasn't just like something that like it was abundantly available so that scarcity kind of made it more desirable for me if i missed an episode and i sort of missed like the rerun rerun window for it i had to either like figure out how to use the internet and watch these episodes online after the fact mm -hmm. or just sort of suffer and this was a very continuity driven show which wasn't really the norm on nickelodeon so and the fact that they're not rerunning it just makes it very challenging so there was just a lot of like an obsession that developed to be developing how to navigate the internet, how to interact with online spaces, making sure that I don't miss my fix. And mm -hmm. yeah, no, when I say the show fundamentally offered my, uh, like altered my brain chemistry, that is 
like in the sense like the show was that good but like there is just a lot of like narrative in terms of i in order to just watch this show because this network doesn't really promote it super well i need mm-hmm. to figure out how to you how to like actually open my own world up yeah that's yeah. the tokyo Mew Mew was that for me at that age when I like in the terms of discovering anime and like, OK, well, this doesn't air on TV. So now I got to figure out how to use my computer and then find websites to watch this on. And where can I find more stuff like this now that I've consumed it all? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I. I yeah, oh, so good. Um, I remember Avatar The Last Airbender starting, but I don't think I had anybody. I didn't I wasn't there day one. It just was on Nickelodeon. At like somebody's house and i thought it was very good and of course the intro you get the premise of the show you're on board already you can kind of almost jump in anywhere a little bit mm-hmm. um especially with that eight nine year old brain but um i've never been able to watch consecutive episodes of this show it was always reruns of whatever point i was at mm-hmm. um even in my adulthood like i have the blu-ray box set <laughs> mm-hmm and I still haven't sat down and watched it. Um, but, you know, if I go to like a, a bar or something and they're playing Avatar The Last Airbender, I think maybe I'll see like two or three episodes in a row. But I don't know what book they're in. Yeah. Um, what is the I, this might be and it's, it's not really spoilery, but what's the episode where the Ember Island? I still haven't I have no idea what happens in Ember Island. There's always references to it. No idea what happened. <laughs> so they're like Umber Island kind kind of comes up a lot. That's all in book three. Um, okay. There's there's a beach episode that's early in season three, and then there's the Ember Island Players, which is the episode leading into the finale. Uh, I guess I could just get into the what before getting into the how and why, like what this show actually is. Uh, yeah. Avatar: The Last Airbender is a series created by uh, Michael Dante DiMartino and uh, Brian Canetzo, uh, with uh, Aaron Yaz serving as the head writer. Lots of wonderful people worked on this show. They'll get the shoutouts in a moment when it becomes relevant to the conversation. But to the point um, that I was talking about earlier about this sort of being a Nickelodeon TV show, anime was just uh, taking off around here and. Yes, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, Airbender is a show made in America, but it is definitely a show that is using the, uh, that is artistically uh, and very much influenced by uh, anime and other types of, uh, you know, Eastern films, uh, Hong mm-hmm. Kong movies, martial arts films, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But it is very much an American production. And anime was just starting to take off here in the West. Uh, obviously, uh, Dragon Ball Z had just finished uh, you know, airing its initial run on Tsunami mm-hmm. by this point. Naruto is about to become really, really, really big here. Mm-hmm. Things like that. And But like anime was mostly something that would air on Cartoon Network, either on Tsunami or Adult Swim. Yeah. But it wasn't something that Nickelodeon had. And having a show like this, an action-oriented cartoon with... That wasn't primarily a comedy was a very weird tonal shift for them and there wasn't anything else like this on nickelodeon no so there is definitely that kind of like factor of like there's nothing else like this on this channel this is like the only show that's like this and it's standing out among the program but it's also just a genuinely genuinely good show oh absolutely yeah it's 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 wonderful uh it's i mean like i'm talking about it now 18 years after it started airing that has to count for something exactly but in this it is this 
fantastic show. It is very much, like I said, a lot of different influences going into it. Uh, a lot of anime, like uh, they were fans of the works of Shinichiro Watanabe, who created uh, Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Champloo. Uh, they were influenced by uh, movies by Stephen Chow, who did Kung Fu Hustle and uh, Shaolin Soccer. And, but if I want to be pretty reductive about what this show is uh, and pitch it to somebody in the simplest terms possible, Avatar The Last Airbender is Star Wars with an anime veneer. And I can say this with confidence because after Avatar The Last Airbender, the thing I have more brain worms about than anything is Star Wars, equal or greater in some instances. But Avatar is much less baggage than Star Wars, so that's why we're having this conversation now instead of talking about Star Wars. But Star Wars will come up a lot in this conversation because... Fine by me. Yeah, in terms of the relationship between Avatar and Star Wars, right? There's yeah. the direct influence in terms of people who worked on this show... Uh, have direct associations with Star Wars. Uh, there's also a narrative influence in terms of story structure, in terms of story ideas. There's a lot taken from Star Wars and incorporated into here. There's writing parallels, character dynamics, stuff that stuff that reflects Star Wars in a very intentional way. And there's also a thematic influence. But to talk about like what this plot broadly is and the characters within. Uh, like you said, the opening narration very much breaks down like what the world is and what the stakes of the uh, the world are. There are four nations, uh, a fire nation, an earth nation, a water tribe, and the air nomads. Mm -hmm. um, the fire nation, a uh, hundred years before the beginning of the series, uh, wants to you know rule the world and initiates uh, basically this very violent uh, war of colonialism. And, you know, homogeny across all these nations, establishing their dominance over these kingdoms, starts a war and commits genocide for on the air nomads, fundamentally making, uh, fundamentally creating the show's title Avatar The Last Airbender. There's one airbender left, an airbender named Aang, who was found in an iceberg by these two people, Katara, who is a waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe, the only waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe, and her non Bender brother Sokka, who is just some guy and also probably my favorite character in the show. He is, there's there's a lot to him. We'll get into <laughs> it shortly. Um, after uh, Katara loses her shit on Sokka for saying some very sexist stuff, very callously, mm -hmm. she like accidentally like pulls this iceberg out of the water and finds the you know frozen body of Aang. They break him out. He is an Airbender. It's a very Weird thing because nobody has seen an airbender in the last hundred years. The beam of light that emanates out from when the iceberg opens up also alerts a per, uh, nearby person, uh, Prince Zuko of the Fire Nation, to the presence of Aang. Uh, Zuko has been sent on basically what is essentially a snipe hunt by his cruel father, the Fire Lord Ozai, to go find the Avatar if he wants to restore honor to himself after his father felt slighted by his actions. So we have like the immediate like stakes of this, the series out there. Aang is an airbender. He's the last airbender we've ever found. Zuko sees that and thinks that may be what I've been looking for for years. I'm going to get my honor back. I'm going to have, I'm going to be back in daddy's favor if I, you know, resolve what was supposed to be basically an impossible mission. Mm -hmm. um, uh, basically Zuko raised the village demands that he gets the avatar. They're like, we don't have, the avatar and Aang's like eh, i'm actually in addition to being an airbender i am 
beat the avatar as well. Yes, no. Surprise. I was running away from my destiny. I am basically a, 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 a car, a pawn that's been taken off the table, like an important piece that's been taken off the table. What is myth is now real. And it's all laying on the laurels of this 12 year old boy. Katara is inspired by this, you know, wants to, wants to save him. Sokka is dragged along for the ride and will slowly develop as a character. He's going to protect, he's there to protect his sister. Katara is there to protect Aang. Aang is there to come to terms with his destiny. Aang was frozen because he ran away from that destiny. He didn't want to become the Avatar. The only reason he's alive is something that he's reckoning with out of guilt is he was a coward in his eyes. When all the rest of his nation was getting slaughtered, he was running away. He fell into the ocean in a storm, froze himself. And now a hundred years later, there he is. So the first Mm -hmm. few episodes is just basically setting up all of that. Aang is a a person who just wanted to be a normal kid who wasn't afforded that opportunity. Zuko is having a sort of opposite arc where he comes from wealth, power, the most powerful person on the planet, the great colonizer himself, Mm -hmm. but is disgraced because this man is a cruel, cruel man, burns him, scars him permanently, and then tells him, get out of my sight and don't return to me unless you can achieve the impossible. Aang's culture has been wiped out by this man's ancestors. Zuko is his entire reputation, his entire identity as a person. Everything that's important to him is tied into finding this individual. We have a person, we have a child marked with tattoos. He's the last piece of his culture. And the person hunting him down is a person who's been burned by that same culture who can only, who's, who can only, he, he is burned. He's scarred in the sense of like, I mean, I'm trying to try hold on. Let me, let me rephrase this. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 two, the two big points of, you know, imagery is like the tattoos on Aang's body, which is like his representation of his culture. He is the last of his kind. He has like the entire burden of his culture. He has to carry on. Zuko has a scar burned onto his face from his father, who is the ancestor uh, or the, you know, descendant of the very people who wiped out this culture. Mm-hmm. He's trying to, it's like this, this scar permanently marked this, marks this man's face. And he has something that will just stay with him for the rest of his life. Burned by the very same culture that wiped out Aang's culture. And God, this show just does so much to just really like make you sympathize with both people's motivations while Zuko is just an absolute bastard man because he has his uncle Iroh who's there to help him along his journey and offer him sage wisdom. Iroh is a man of a complicated past, but he's ultimately a pretty jovial dude despite ostensibly being, you know, part of the bad guys in this scenario. We love uncle Iroh. Yeah. So Katara and Sokka rescue as rescue Aang from the clutches of Prince Zuko. And they begin this journey of Aang going to travel across the world, try and learn the four elements so he can master them and possibly take on the Fire Lord. Meanwhile, Zuko's going to chase him across all these nations, try and return him to his father and try and get back in his good graces. And that's the entire setup of the first season. We need to go from the South Pole to the North Pole Zuko is pursuing them and <laughs> Zuko's conflict is not just with Aang, but also this new character voiced by Jason Isaacs called um, 
Admiral Zhao, who is basically just this kind of person who's there to be more of a bastard than Zuko. So when this dude pops up and Zuko has beef with him, you can root with root for Zuko. It's all very well set up in that way. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So across this first season, you're just like seeing them go on various misadventures. It's very much world set up. You're just like there to get like little pockets of lore until you get the plot resolution and really get like the advancement of these characters arcs all culminated in these last few episodes when they finally get to the North Pole from the South Pole. So it's just a lot of like, what is life like in all these nations? In the third episode, you see Aang go to the uh, Southern Air Temple and he fully discovers that I really am the last airbender. Everybody's been wiped out. It's not just nobody has seen an airbender in 100 years because they're in an isolated area. It's just straight up, they've all been wiped out. Every single one of them killed. He finds the body of the person who raised him and it makes him have a breakdown and he like his eyes and his tattoos glow when he goes into what's called the Avatar state. In another episode, they go into... um, (laughs) In another episode, they go into the Earth city of Omashu and Aang meets somebody that he was friends with when they were both 12 years old. But since 100 years have passed... His friend is now 112 years old, King of Amashu, this big, um, great big earth-bending city. But he is still remains 12 years old. The world has fundamentally changed, and he still has to come to terms with that. And then it's just a lot of like other like setup stuff, like what is it like to live in the Earth Kingdom? What are the colonies that the Fire Nation set up? What are they like? What is the effect on the people who have been part of this nation for thousands of years and then over the last hundred years have just been colonized to the point where their spirits are crushed and there aren't any real uprisings. It's kind of like the rebellion from star Wars, right? (gasps) You know, so there's these, these, there's these narrative story structure things that are all set up uh, to um, get these star Wars parallels. And I'm getting there, but I did just want to sort of clarify a few more lore bits for people who may be less familiar with the show, some general story beats to be aware of. Uh, Sokka sort of starts out as like, again, just some guy. He has ambitions to be a warrior, but he is the oldest kid in his clan because all the men of the water tribe went off to go and fight the war to, you know, try and fight off the, 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 the threat of the fire nation. Sokka just has like a lot to prove to himself. And he has a lot of weird ideas about masculinity in his head. So it's like, I have to go there and be supportive of my sister and protect, uh, Katara. I have to do these things to make me feel good about myself. And very quickly, they sort of like move him away from those kinds of that kind of mentality by creating a battle of the sexes episode and possibly the only good one that's ever been made. Because um, mm-hmm. these are generally the worst episodes of any show. It's just kind of like women do things like this. Men do things like this. And it's, you know, the gender of it all, the, 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 yeah. you know, the, the girl power sentiment just sort of ringing hollow and just like the, the way that these plot beats are kind of justified. You have to make these characters who act a certain way. Most episodes just become generally unlikable to sow division and just believe sexist things to justify it. But in Avatar's case, they kind of set up that Sokka is super sexist because it's the entire inciting incident for the series, but you can't have a character that you're with every episode be like that. Yeah. So they meet the Kyoshi warriors, which is this historic group of women warriors who are inspired by a previous avatar um, from the Earth Kingdom, Kyoshi, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They wear the same geisha makeup. They use fans in their fighting style. And it's just this very historic, you know, tribe of women. And you meet Suki, who becomes a sort of love interest to Sokka, but it's also more about teaching him 
uh, you know, other about other cultures, uh, to be more respectful of women and what they can achieve to break, you know, some traditional ideas of thought behind them, because really the only woman that he's ever gotten to know is a sister because, you know, his own mother was killed by the fire nation in the past. Uh, he doesn't really have a framework for what women are generally like. He doesn't really have a framework for, uh, what men are, you know, noble men are like either because all the men in his life are gone. Gender. Great. Whatever. Um, gender. Gender. <laughs> I hardly know her. Um, but no, yeah, like very quickly, like a lot of like the sexist sentiments get pared down. Sokka's on the path to becoming a better person. Katara um, has this ambition for herself where she gets to leave her small village for the first time in her life and really get to explore her identity and build herself up as a person who can't just, you know, be a woman in a small tribe. She is a waterbender, the first waterbender that her um, tribe has had in years and years. What does that mean? Um, so she thinks if I go to the North Pole with Aang, who also needs to learn waterbending, I can also learn to become a waterbending master. And that just becomes her character motivation. She's yeah. going for self-improvement. It's not just, oh, I get to explore the world with this Avatar guy. That seems really cool. They really develop her as her own character with her own ambition and her own motivation. Sokka gets slowly developed over the course of this season. And Aang has to slowly come to terms with the fact that he is the Avatar. He is a kid who has to learn to become part of this legacy. And he has kind of the weight of the world on him as just this 12-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. Um so it's just there, him eventually uh, meeting a past life of his uh, and having a conversation with him and like trying to figure out like, what can I do? What are the stakes that are being set up here? And that's when he gets a vision from the previous avatar from the Fire Nation, Avatar Roku, which kind of like puts it into like the audience's head. The Fire Nation wasn't always bad. There are noble people that have existed in the Fire Nation in the past. The previous Avatar was from the Fire Nation. And he's hel helping Aang figure out what he can do to take on the Fire Nation over the course of the show. And just, you know, dismantle that colonial rule they have over the entire world. So Aang learns that there's going to be a comet coming in the summer. He has to learn all four uh, elements by that time if he wants to be able to take on the Fire Lord and defeat him. Because the next time the comet rolls around they are going to be super powered again. That comet that came the last time the comet came was a hundred years ago. And that's when the fire Lord of previous generations wiped out the entire air nation. What's going to happen when that comet rolls around again, definitely some sort of death and destruction. You can't just, you can't, you can't, you have to do something by that time. There's a time limit. There is a motivator. Now we know what Aang needs to do in order to stop this, very, very ingrained colonial force that is putting a chokehold on the nation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it's great. It all emerges from there. That first season is, it's, it's a great, it would be a great show on its own, but the show just keeps getting better from that as the characters develop more and more themes become developed, more characters become developed and more characters get introduced, such as Toph in the second season, who was a blind earthbender who sees by feeling the vibe, uh, you know, basically feel the feeling the vibrations on the ground because she is using her bare feet to just feel the movement of the earth. She's that good of an earthbender. Uh, you eventually meet uh, Zuko's sister, Azula, who was another great foil for Zuko, the same way Admiral Zhao was in the first season, because she's always like, I'm going to be more evil than you. I am just a complete fucking like cruel person who has like not as much self-awareness about it as you. 
there's definitely sympathetic parts to Azula as a character, and we don't have time to get into all that. But ultimately, mm-hmm. like, it's a great foil for Zuko as a character because it's like there's always somebody more evil than me. I could always be worse because there's this person running around who does actually revel in the cruelty where I just sort of see it as a means to an end to my goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and Azula doesn't have an Uncle Iroh who's there to keep him centered, to keep him spiritual, to keep him focused. So We all need an Uncle Iroh. We do. But... So going back to what I was talking about earlier about this show being very parallel to Star Wars in a very specific way, there are these direct influences, the, the narrative influences, and then there's also the thematic influences. Uh, there are people who worked on this show who would go on to work in Star Wars in some capacity. And also the fact that Mark Hamill voices Fire Lord Ozai, the, the central antagonist of mm-hmm. the series, and he played Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy that that goes a long way there's definitely a lot of like conscious variables going on that make this a very conscious connection to star wars um one of the people who work on the first season is dave filoni who uh if you know a lot about star wars beyond the movies is a very familiar name at this point dave filoni was a guy who up to this point in his career was working mainly in character art storyboard art and sometimes an assistant director in tv shows uh, like uh, King of the Hill and Mission Hill, both of which were shows that the show's creators, Mark and Bri- Mike and Brian, worked on, right? Yeah. Um, he worked, fun fact, Dave Filoni worked on this other show called American Dragon, Jake Long, which also starred <gasps> the voice of Zuko, Dante Bosco, and yes. the voice of Katara, uh, Mae Whitman. Mm-hmm. So really quick fun fact there. <laughs> um, I, loved, I loved that show so much. It was a fun show. I haven't revisited it uh, as much as I have revisited Avatar The Last Bend, Airbender, or really at all. But it is definitely like something's like, oh, yeah, fuck, yeah. And that was a show that was really fun and also had uh, Dante Bosco throwing fire around and Mae Whitman. Um, we love to see it. Yeah, but Avatar was this really big jump forward in Dave Filoni's career because he works on the first season of this show and he directs some of the best episodes of this season, including but not limited to the two-part premiere where the boy in the iceberg comes out of the ice uh, and, you know, this whole like see the whole premise of the show set up. There's another episode with this character called Jet, who is this very obvious uh, amalgamation of mm. Shinichiro Watanabe characters, like a Spike from Cowboy Bebop and mm-hmm. a Mugen from Samurai Champloo. He has these uh, he has these hook swords that are very uh, very ridiculous, but super fucking fun because you just see this really cool sort of anarchist teenager swinging around trees with his hook swords and it, it's just a really fun stupid sword design i love stupid sword designs like buster swords from final fantasy and things like that the, the the more the more goofy the better frankly yeah i remember jet so fondly until as the plot progresses and there's a point where i'm like yeah nobody uh even even young Ro- that wasn't the shout but when jet first was introduced Oh mm-hmm. my goodness, he was right up there next to Robin for me. <laughs> yeah, he's, he initially is like introduces like this sort of foil for Sokka because both of them harbor anti-Fire Nation resentment. Uh, and it's definitely rooted in this colonial anger. These people who have bullied us, taken from us in the literal sense, like our parents have been taken away from us because of the Fire Nation. In Jet's case, they were both killed. In Sokka's case, like, my father's off fighting a war and I haven't seen him in years. And my mother was very literally killed by a Fire Nation uh, soldier. I have all this resentment towards them. And Jet's whole thing, Jet's whole thing is, like, he doesn't see anybody from the Fire Nation as fundamentally human. And Sokka 
does have to learn through Jet's extreme actions that, yes, all of this stuff is fucking bullshit, but we can't just kill every person that we come across. And this becomes a big sticking point uh, with the themes of colonialism. And I think the show specifically strikes a very good balance of like, yes, colonialism is very, very, very bad. But, you know, people who are of the Fire Nation, not every single one of them is this like blindly cruel and evil person. People who have lived in the Fire Nation their entire lives uh, are can be neutral or even negative about the war or are victims of the industrial war complex machine. Mm-hmm. Uh themselves in their own weird way not necessarily as much of a victim in the sense of like victims of genocide like the air nation are victims of the actual uh, colonies uh living in the earth nation but these people there are well-intentioned people in this very cruel very evil machine and sock is mm-hmm. very much able to see like not everybody wishes violence on us and you can't greet them initially with a completely cruel violence you have to have considerations about who our enemy is otherwise you're just causing blatant destruction and it, you can't do that And that's our introduction to Jet. Another episode Dave Filoni directs is called The Blue Spirit, which is an episode where um, Zuko, not Zuko, uh, Katara and Sokka get really sick and Aang needs to find like a cure for them so that they, they, they get better because it's a very, very dangerous flu. So while he's doing all this, the Fire Nation like is pursuing him and he gets captured by Admiral Zhao, the big bastard of season one. And this blue spirit ends up trying to save and liberate him from the clutches of Admiral Zhao. And it's this just fight scene after fight scene, great action sequence after great action sequence. You can really see the, the depths of how strong Aang is as an airbender. You can see this really badass sword fight with this guy who's just wearing a mask and is completely silent and wielding these two swords. There's just this really cool music all throughout the episode. And it really just really makes the the significance of admiral zhao as this like actual villain uh all the all the much stronger and once the blue spirit gets uh ang out of the prison he gets struck by an arrow collapses onto the ground loses consciousness the mask falls off and it turns out it's prince zuko wearing the mask he was freeing ang from the clutches of admiral zhao for a more complicated reason. Like, I don't want this fucking bastard to capture the avatar. I need to capture the avatar, <laughs> but obviously he can't just like march in his I'm Prince Zuko and I'm taking the avatar out of here yeah. um, because nobody respects him because he's a little abandoned bastard boy. <laughs> um, I'm a little abandoned bastard boy. <laughs> so instead he just like disguises himself as this vigilante and Aang sees it as like the sympathetic thing. Like you're more complicated than I initially thought of you, but Zuko, outright rejects that it's like no fuck you get out of here um and yeah that it builds again you see there's more sympathetic parts of zuko in this episode you, you get really cool action sequences and the the season one arc villain really develops into a bigger bastard man and then he directs mm-hmm. the second part of the season one finale which is oof, just this really big <laughs> spiritual kaiju battle where the uh fire nation makes a play on the north pole after ang has finally learned waterbending. Katara finally gets accepted as a legitimate presence in the North Pole where there's this huge sexism problem and women can't become uh, warrior waterbenders. Uh, They're only really treated as healers. But Katara sort of like shatters that kind of perception because Mm -hmm. she proves herself as a formidable warrior. Um, But like, yeah, that finale where the Fire Nation attacks the North Pole 
Aang is able to successfully get them out of there. And all of these just like big bombastic sequences, that's all directed by Dave Filoni as well. And these are some of the best episodes of that first season. It really escalates into a show really coming into its own, having a more plot-driven continuity. And Admiral Zhao is defeated. His army is suppressed. And now we need a new villain for season two, a new motivator for season two. But Dave Filoni leaves after this season because he has to go work on a TV show at Lucasfilm that would become Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh. Um, he directs the animated film pilot uh, that came out in 2008. And from there, he works on the show as a writer, director. He works on the art for it. He becomes this big presence in Lucasfilm because of how popular Star Wars The Clone Wars is. He develops his follow-up series for it called Star Wars Rebels that continues mm-hmm. to build on it. That was so good, too. Yeah, and he co-creates uh, The Mandalorian with Jon Favreau. Uh, you you've, you said that you like uh, these series, is that right? I, so, uh, I okay, I am nervous to say this, set, this sentence, but I have not watched all of the original Star Wars movies, but I mm-hmm. have been around, like, either through romantic relationships or platonic relationships i've been around a lot of people who are very passionate about star wars so i have seen a lot of clone wars and i have seen a lot of rebels i've seen the mandalorian um i've seen a lot of star wars content like post the you know the six movies Mm -hmm. um so i have a a great general understanding but i don't remember a lot of specifics so um, but I do get really hyped because I remember Clone Wars and Rebels just being incredibly good. And I didn't realize that my man's from Avatar was working on it. So, of course, it was amazing. Yeah, no, he has like a lot of pedigree working in the animation industry for about a decade up to this point. But also like this work of on Avatar specifically brings a lot of like spiritualist sensibilities from his work on Avatar into the stuff that he works on in Star Wars, especially in Rebels, because at last half of rebels those storylines are very much about your relationship with the force uh things beyond what being a jedi is beyond like because you know the the whole like thing about the jedi is that they're also you know it's the spiritual group of people that are victims of genocide themselves and uh ezra and his master kanan are kind of representative of some of the very last of these Jedi. And what does it mean to be a Jedi in a world where the Jedi order was destroyed? What does it mean to be in touch with your own spirituality and all that? What kind of spiritual presences still exist in this world that's just completely plagued by, uh, you know, this Imperial colonial force. And a lot of that is just super what avatar the last airbender is about that whole first season is like them finding places ravaged by the fire nation, uh, finding spirits who have been, uh, had their forests destroyed and they are attacking the local towns because they don't really have anywhere to go. And yeah, no, these, these, these just themes just kind of line up with each other and what Filoni was bringing from Avatar into Star Wars and him being this huge fan of Star Wars and this accomplished you know person in this animation space, bringing him to this series that he was always a fan of and had sensibilities of when working on Avatar. It's this very weird uh, Ouroboros of influence. Wait, say that one more time for me. I my stuff glitched a little bit. Uh, it's just like it's just this very strange, you know, relationship between Star Wars and Avatar in the sense, specifically with Dave Filoni, because it's like him getting his influence from Star Wars and putting that into The Last Airbender, only to go on to take his influences from The Last Airbender into Star Wars. Just kind of creates this like very weird 
circle of influence where like one thing is feeding into another and almost like an Ouroboros of influence. Ah, yes, 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 yes. And I love it when that happens, honestly. Um, but I think that's also from how my brain functions of mm-hmm. like, yes, this one thing I really like and this another thing I really like. Let me just let me just mush them together real quick. And I'm going to have this thing that I really, really like. Um, yeah. But I love to see that happening at like ground zero for these uh, intellectual properties. That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Another person who ends up working on the Star Wars, the Clone Wars series is uh, another writer director on uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. His name is Giancarlo Volpa, who um, worked on Avatar The Last Airbender for the entire run, not just the first season like Filoni did. Uh, He does storyboard art, writes, he directs 19 episodes of the show and Avatar only has 61 episodes. That's almost an entire third of it. Uh, And then he goes on to work on Star Wars, the Clone Wars with Filoni for a few years. So Mm -hmm. there is a direct human connection between both of these works. Now, as for the narrative connection, right? Mm -hmm. And it's obvious there are going to be some very obvious parallels because fundamentally, um, Star Wars was very consciously using the template of the hero's journey to tell its story. And um, Avatar is going to very much use the same popular template as well. But what makes this a lot more interesting is that there isn't just one hero's journey in Avatar The Last Airbender. There's two. There is this dyad relationship between Aang and Prince Zuko. And the way that their destinies are linked with one another isn't just simple like, you know, black and white, light and dark. It's just these very two complex, very different characters on from two diametrically opposed backgrounds um, trying to discover and self-actualize in these horrific environments for them. Um, so whereas like the hero's journey in Star Wars is kind of built around Luke Skywalker, the narrative of Avatar The Last Airbender is presented initially as like the story of Aang, but builds out from that. And Zuko becomes just as central of a character as Aang in this narrative. He's in almost every single episode of the show. He's only absent for a couple and their emotional arcs are very much running parallel to one another. Development happens at the same time and they're not necessarily learning the same things. They're sort of coming to the same conclusion in a different order, but these, these things stay the same. And it's just really, it's an incredible trick that it's pulling off, but that's just a broad general, you know, hero's journey thing in and of itself. But what happens in avatar is like, there's just a lot of like the setups are the same, right? The, you know, the general setup of like, Really, there's this imperial force that dominates everything. The general population has given up any hope. Uh, and lo and behold, this one person of a long thought dead uh, culture has emerged. And suddenly there is a new hope. Um, in Avatar's case, it's going to be the last airbender, Aang. And, you know, Star Wars's case, this is uh, Luke Skywalker. And... Luke Skywalker isn't simply just a parallel of Aang, but also of Prince Zuko, because as we know, there is the whole part of the lineage of the big evil villain, Firelord Ozai, Zuko being the son of that evil villain. Um, and then there's just sort of like the general aesthetics of fascism and how they're both represented by these like, uh, you know, kind of faceless people in the, you know, the case of the stormtroopers, but the Fire Nation troops are all usually wearing masks or helmets, mm-hmm. something that kind of like, removes the humanity of them because they're all wearing like these kind of like stormtrooper-y like Nazi-ish kind of fascistic kind of imagery 
yeah. this armor. It really makes them distinct in a world that's very lush and beautiful, like in the case of the Earth Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the there's like that. There's the very much industrialized, more technological part of it. Uh, the Fire Nation has all these like big iron ships. They have uh, these pollution causing uh, devices that they use. They're building tanks, very very rudimentary tanks, coal engine uh, ships, uh, warships. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aang being of a monk tribal background is very much like a, a presence of nature. And this is just another way of like making these two things distinct. Um, and then there's like obviously the thematic parallels as well. George Lucas initially wrote Star Wars as this kind of anti-Vietnam, anti-American sentiment where these <laughs> Viet Cong equivalents are with very much every single thing stacked against them are fighting against people that have all the power all the resources and something with a world ending power uh, with the fire nation. That's going to be the Sozin's comment that gives this firebenders the ability to just burn everything in sight. And in Star Wars, that's just the death star, which can just blow up a planet instantly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, there's definitely like this larger than life power that you're fighting against and the fascism it represents. And both stories are just kind of telling that. And Aang is sort of functionally the rebel alliance of his story. All he has is this giant bison, uh, his two new friends, and people that he charms and helps join him along the way. And then Zuko, who has to learn to be a better person and figure out what his place is in all this stuff because hunting the Avatar isn't really working out for him. So I think... A lot of these like broad parallels kind of make it seem like, oh, is Avatar just a ripoff of Star Wars? And I'm not expressing that idea at all. I think that they have a lot of broad narrative strokes and one is clearly influenced by the other and is borrowing plot beats from another thing. Mm -hmm. But I think as opposed to a lot of the stuff that's very consciously taking Star Wars into account when like writing its stories, uh, Avatar is an amazing example of a work that's transformative and it builds and expands upon the themes of the original in a way that makes it feel new and refreshing on a narrative level. And because of the vivid realization of the world, its lore, its creatures, its characters, it transcends into this amazing work when it could easily have just been a shallow ripoff. You know, I'm sitting here. I'm like, how did I not see this? Mm-hmm. How did I not see? It? Oh, well, I mean, at the time as of release, I, I couldn't have seen it because I didn't, I didn't really mm-hmm. understand star Wars yet. But as an adult, I've never had like something to turn my direction, my 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 vision in that direction of being like, oh, oh, shit, you're right. right. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah. And like, again, the reason like it's not just immediately obvious to us is because Avatar does a very good job, like telling its own original stories and putting its own twists on the initial setup. Like, again, like having the two perspectives instead of just the simple one. Uh, Yeah. There's another there's other stuff about it, too. Uh, Avatar had three seasons, all called book one, book two, book three. Uh, The original trilogy of Star Wars, you know, what we now call episodes four, five and six, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Return of the Jedi. They're they're both like built as like an inherent trilogy. Right. Yeah. Um, And in the first like season, like this is a bunch of characters that are constantly on the defensive. Um, Like a new hope. The victory is they blew up the Death Star, but the Empire is still this world-ending, uh, world-dominating power. Like, the war has just begun for them. What 
the finale of season one of Avatar is like, yeah, I learned how to waterbend now and I kind of know what the Avatar state is and I am able to successfully fight back the Fire Nation in this one specific battle. Basically, the first victory and albeit a defensive one, this isn't an offensive that was led. This was, you know, just simply protecting the last stronghold of waterbending in this world. That's like the first major victory that the opposition, not the opposition, but like the victims of oppression have felt in a century. And the Avatar was there to lead it, just like Luke Skywalker was there to lead uh, the destruction of the Death Star. Season two of Avatar is the Empire Strikes Back on like a plot beat basis, an escalation of the original story, and just like the, the twists and turns that the story ends up taking, both with Zuko's character and Aang's character. Zuko is officially fully cut out of the family because of his failure to capture the Avatar in the first season. Azula is called in to sort of like seal the deal. Here's the here's the golden child. Here's the one who is sure to defeat uh, Aang and bring him into the power. Zuko's cut off. <laughs> he doesn't have access to the Fire Nation anymore. He doesn't have a nice ship. He doesn't have a crew. It's just him and his uncle. And they're functionally homeless people just gallivanting about the Earth Kingdom uh, they're, they're, they're not allowed to hunt the avatar anymore. That's Azula's job now. Um, and then Aang is like, all right, I gotta go find an earthbending teacher now. Let's dooly dooly do. Uh, oh, what's this? What's this? Who's new Zuko here? What the hell? Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But so like the thing with book two is like it, like that the story escalates and it becomes sort of like the empire strikes back in the sense of like, um, like it, like, a book two of avatar is like both empire strikes back in a political thriller and uh this all kind of like because what happens is like to get all of these storylines to bleed together the second chunk of book two of avatar is set almost entirely in this city called ba sing se um which is like the big earth kingdom city and what's going on there is it is a massive walled city completely isolated from the rest of the earth kingdom and it's the big major stronghold and the only place in the Earth Kingdom that has been untouched by the Fire Nation because of its strategic position, uh, the resources available to it, the, the impenetrable wall. Mm-hmm. Dude, nobody, nobody in the wall knows that there is a war going on because of information control and yeah. information suppression. And there's also a big class divide. People in the you know, inner wall uh, you know, experience you know, wealth and luxury and they're all clustered together and people on the outer sides of the wall are these oppressed, downtrodden, the poor, the people who actually uh, produce the things that the wealthy elite in the in the inner wall gets to reap the benefits of. So you see class divide, you see information control, you see, you know, oh yeah, you guys are our honored guests because hey, the avatar's here, but the king doesn't know that there's a war going on in Ba Sing Se. He's just a patsy. He's just some dude, a figurehead leader for the for the you know unwashed masses that we can trot out to like legitimize our actual covert operations here, where I control the narrative. I'm this. It's like this villain played by Clancy Brown, this deep, bar- like very deep voice man who is using his proximity to the king to influence the political going-ons of this massive city. He is the true ruler of everything, and he sees the Avatar's presence there as a threat. He's like, you're welcome in the city, but if you try anything, you know, you need to get out of here. Um, I'm remembering this so vividly. Like, as you're talking about it, like, the episodes are, like, flooding into my brain. of like, I remember 
I remember this so much. Oh, mm-hmm. there is no war in Bossing Say. Exactly, yeah. Um Meanwhile, Zuko and Iroh are in Bossing Say because they're now officially refugees. They're on the run from Azula. The walls of Bossing Say are impenetrable and they can be safe from their uh, you know, the the sister that's hunting down the avatar there. And they can also try and create something of a new life for themselves there. Uncle Iroh Uncle Iroh's very set in his belief that I can open up a tea shop here. I can have a new life. I don't want the royalty anymore. What has the royalty ever done for me? This war that I fought killed my own son. You're my only like connection to family now, Prince Zuko. Like it's just you and me against the world now. And Zuko is just kind of like, I can't believe I'm homeless. I can't believe I've lost everything. I used to be a prince. Now I'm a fucking pauper. I'm just down in the streets with my dirty, dirty uncle who doesn't really give a shit about anything. And I'm isolated. This is the most down and out I've ever felt in my life. Um, but like what really becomes the Empire Strikes Back of all. And like, here's the thing, like obviously Bossing Say is a parallel with uh, New York City or like just big, massive American cities in general. Yeah. Um, like the way that um, Star Wars can be used to represent the Vietnam War in the 60s and 70s, right? This can easily very much just be post 9-11 America embossing, say, just Patriot Act stuff, um, complete and total lack of faith in leaders, a true underclass that is completely marginalized by the overclass in this complete total ignorance to the actual goings ons of the world around them. Um, but I mean, clearly, but like there's also just like sort of like the American parallel with, uh, you know, the Fire Nation, where they are the actual true perpetrators of violence and cruelty and, you know, massive destruction in all over the world. So there's just like a lot of like war imagery and like there's a lot of like pertinent references to war on terror and a lot of conversations about like um, what it actually like, you know, what nationalistic pride is versus what is actually going on in these, you know, other nations where war is being fought in. But so that's the that's the political angle of like what book two is like they're really ramping up these themes. But in terms of the actual plot structure of this mirroring the Empire Strikes Back, the last few episodes of this um, season is all right. Well, we finally took care of like the the guy who is like completely controlling the narrative of emboss- embossing, say he was running this literal brainwashing scheme where he was brainwashing a bunch of women to control the public narrative and like any outside guests coming into bossing say spy on them and all that the Dai Li, these like covert like earthbending uh operatives who live in the shadows and use like their earthbending to like create these like weird little gloves that cover the mouth of people and then pull them into the shadows and then reprogram them and send them out back into the public because oh another God. person who was you know a refugee at this point was jet who we remember from season one as a guy who hates the fire nation to the point that he believes all of them are completely fundamentally deserving of death uh-huh. he meets zuko on like oh, the, the no. ship on the way there and like they initially bond with each other because they're like hey we're going to get into some like rapscallion shit and steal things you're also a refugee you seem good at stealing things you got swords you want to help us and he's like hey, hell yo. yeah i would love to steal some shit <laughs> they bond um, but like he finds out that they're firebenders because at one point, um, when Uncle Iroh is drinking, Uncle Iroh is drinking some, some shitty tea, he warms it up using firebending really quickly. And 
Jet notices the steam coming out of it. He's like, they're not fucking refugees. They're fucking firebenders. We got to kill these motherfuckers. And he ends up causing a scene uh, when Uncle Iroh's working at a tea shop saying like, these refugees are actually firebenders. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's the jolly old man who makes the best tea in the city. What are you doing? What are you on about? <laughs> and he's just like saying, no, they're firebenders. And like the streets just kind of regard him as this crazy person. The Daily take him off the streets. <gasps> and then like he reappears a couple episodes later as like this kind of like weirded out, like kind of like... Hey, uh, no, I'm totally normal. What are you talking about? I wasn't doing weirdo shit trying to kill people a minute ago. And he runs into Katara, who is also in the city. Um, and like, she's like, I'm, go I'm going to beat your ass because that shit you did a season ago. He's like, no, no, I'm a changed person. And no, he's not a changed person. He's now an agent of the state who's been brainwashed and has actually been sent to go and kill um, the Avatar gang. And um, through him they like try and deprogram him and like try and find like hey where taken where did they do all this shit to you and they expose the daily and like the the shadow op shit that they've been doing this entire time but jet ends up dying and is killed by the daily which raises the stakes of like oh god these people are really fucking evil if they're just killing people left and right not just like brainwashing them and changing and controlling the narrative we got to go to the king and confront them with all of this and this is when it becomes the Empire Strikes Back, right? They like are like in a place where it's like, okay, we're finally scoring some wins. We we got rid of the Shadow Earth Nation government. Uh, we were able to successfully protect the city from a Fire Nation attack a few episodes ago. We're on top of the world here. Aang just found out that there's like some there's some weirdo out on like a a, a few a few days you know trip out here uh, who can teach him spirituality so he can like unlock the next part of his avatar journey. Katara is going to help with the war effort. So the earth kingdom can like be more equipped to actually take on the fire nation. Sokka's got some stuff going on too, I guess. <laughs> um, um, and Oh, and the, the Kyoshi warriors from season one are going to come here. Everything's Yay! finally going to be great. We're finally going to win guys. And it turns out <laughs> the Kyoshi warriors aren't uh, the Kyoshi warriors. Uh, Azula <gasps> and her team of bad girls <laughs> have oh. taken them out. Uh, in a previous episode and they're actually here to ruin all the plans they infiltrated the city azula's here shenanigans ensue so the subsequent episodes are um oh and another thing that happens in that whole like oh let's disclose the shadow op government is like and whole reason they're in bossing say in the first place the avatar gang right is because they're trying to find appa who's been taken away uh by uh trappers in a desert and they find out that, um, oh, you know, yeah. they're trying to find leads on that. They're trying to find, like, where my fucking bison is. Um, you know, Intel suggests they might be embossing, say, Massive City. How are we supposed to find this guy? We don't know. It turns out that the Shadow government have been, like, holding Appa hostage recently and kind of levering, leveraging that against um, Aang, waiting to see what they can do about that. The person who ends up finding Appa and freeing Appa is Prince Zuko. Uh, Our boy. Yeah, because like Iroh just kind of gives him an ultimatum of like, why? Why are you still hunting him down? What are you going to get out of it? Like, you have to like have these conversations within yourself. Like, who are you? Who are you as a person truly? And he just instead of, oh, I can capture the bison and use that to get the avatar somehow. And like, so, <laughs> I was like, fucking how? 
You gotta park them in like your garage or something. Newsflash, asshole. We're fucking broke. We live in an apartment. <laughs> we can't do anything with this. All you're doing is looking at an animal being down and saying like this is an opportunity you can't do anything let the fucking animal go you can't do anything with this zuko frees appa and he gets reunited with um ang appa uh-huh. and zuko collapses on the floor of his apartment because he finally did one good thing with his life and he said that's enough activism for today i think <laughs> and hits the floor and it becomes like this whole like war within himself so Reminding was, you, real, yeah. It reminds me. I don't want to. I don't want to no. step over I, what you're about to say, but I do actively remember of like, oh, I did one thing, and now I'm going to be violently sick. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry if I'm talking too much, but like, I no. like every every conversation begets more talking. I'm gonna try not to just replot the entire, recount the entire c- series, but like, just like good little character shit keeps coming up, uh, right? No, I mean, it's, I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm having a great time over here because now I, I'm having like the. The very quick, like, I don't want to call it a Rolodex, but like Mm -hmm. the old school, like Nickelodeon, like penny shows where it's just (laughs) going really fast in my brain. I'm like, oh, yeah, I maybe I've seen a lot more of this show than I've realized. Just out of order. Yeah. Um, So in book two, episode 18, Zuko gets violently ill after doing exactly one good thing. And Iroh is like, dude, you're having a war within yourself. Um. At one point, Zuko gets up to, like, splash water on his face so he can, like, cool off his fever. And he looks into the mirror and he doesn't see his own face. He sees the face of Aang and, and he, he wakes up and he screams and realizes, oh, God, that was a nightmare. I was like, what the fuck was that dream? And there's a parallel to this scene in The Empire Strikes Back where Luke is training on Dagobah. And he enters the cave of evil to confront his darkest fears. And in that cave, Luke is having a duel with a vision of Darth Vader, and he decapitates Darth Vader. And when Vader's head hits the ground, his helmet shatters, and Luke sees his own face was under the mask this entire time. (sighs) And in Luke's case, like, this symbolizes a darkness within himself, his own, like, potential, like, path to the dark side. And it ties into the future reveal later in the movie that Darth Vader is Luke's father. In Avatar, it's sort of like inverted, where Zuko is actually seeing the good in himself for the first time and rather than the darkness. And that kind of like ties into this whole thing where Zuko and Aang's destinies are more intertwined with one another. Um, But the last couple episodes of the season, again, Aang goes off uh, to go train with this really quirky guru who can teach him about the spirituality he needs to be able to access the Avatar state whenever he wants to go into it consciously instead of in like heated moments of passion. This is very obviously just like the Yoda Dagobah stuff in um, Empire, but like with the the Avatar like veneer on it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, you know, obviously Zuko's having this internal war within himself um, while Aang is like going to, uh, and then like you know, Zuko finally has like clarity and peace within himself. He's like going into work. He his, his uncle's opened a tea shop. He he is like. Things are good for the first time. I'm not obsessed with the Avatar anymore. I don't need to, like, make that my entire identity. And then, like, a minute later, Azula comes into the shop and is like, hey, you want to help me capture the Avatar and restore your honor and get daddy's love again? And he's like, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Absolutely do that. And I was like, fucking come on, man. <laughs> like, a bunch of stuff builds up to that. But, like, fundamentally, like, 
Zuko finally has an out for the first time. He's accepted that like the only person really looking out for him is his uncle. And he gets manipulated by his cruel sister uh, saying like, oh, you know, daddy's sentimental now. He needs everybody around him rallied around him as much as possible. You know how he is. He, he gets paranoid and shit. He's like, oh, daddy loves me. I'm going to go home now. I just need to capture the avatar. I can absolutely do that. Um, you know, um, Aang gets a vision during his training, just like Luke gets a vision during his training with Yoda. Mm-hmm. S- seeing his friends in danger from the villains and he's saying like i gotta cut this short i gotta go i gotta go help my friends and like the guru's like look no your training isn't done you need to untether your connection with the earthly world or you will never become like you'll never be able to av- like access the avatar state ever and he's like no i'm choosing love katara's the love of my life she's in danger i need to protect her now and he's like saying all right man you're a fucking loss same like conversation Luke has with um, Yoda, where he's like, if you abandon your Jedi training now because of your sentimental attachment to these people, you're not you're not ready to fight Darth Vader. If you go and fight Darth Vader, you'll fucking lose. Sure fucking enough, Luke goes to fight Darth Vader, loses. Ang goes to fight Azula, loses. In fact, Ang gets electrocuted in the back and fucking dies. And the only reason he doesn't stay dead is because uh, at the beginning of the season, they introduce the fact that Katara has like this spirit water with her that is basically just kind of like one free revive <laughs> that we can use at the end of the season. Katara almost uses it at one point when like she and Zuko are having a conversation when they kind of realize we're both human. She's like, I could probably use the spirit water to heal your scar. Thank God she doesn't because Aang fucking dies 20 minutes later. And he comes back to life. The ending of Empire Strikes Back and the ending of the, the season two of Avatar is like the heroes fucking lose. They lost. The Empire won. Azula wins. Uh, Zuko is fully turned back to the dark side. He sold out his father, uh, not his father. He sold out Uncle Iroh as like this kooky uh, failure who turned him away from the light. And the Avatar is like dead as far as the rest of the world is concerned so like here comes like the third age of like you know fucking evil that we're about to wind in ang fails it's it's their parallels honestly i love it when that happens though like when i know that they are ramping up into some crazy good shit when the main characters just fuck it up you know Mm mm-hmm um so i i'm I'm super hyped for what's to come like i'm I'm distraught obviously i don't want (laughs) Mm-hmm. The, I don't want this to happen to them, but because it's a fictional thing as a viewer, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, what's going to happen now? No, yeah, I watched season two's finale live just like I watched uh, like I didn't get to watch a lot of that season live, but I somehow managed to get the ending of season two live. And I thought that legitimately those last two episodes were the coolest thing I'd ever seen on TV. It's incredible fight sequences, incredible building of stakes, just plot twist after plot twist, character choice after character choice. Seeing Zuko like be on the cusp of becoming a good person, selling his uncle out, helping his sister kill the Avatar, and Aang nearly dying for good killed me. And then the show went on hiatus for like 10 months. So we didn't get a resolution for that for a long time. And I'll get into like the 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 like production stuff about the show in a minute. But like the third season, when you, you finally got like nine or ten months later, finally. The first half of it kind of airs, you know, relatively week to week. Um, 
And it's just this really weird, interesting, like, okay, the table's resetting. Like, what happens now with these characters? Zuko got everything that he wanted. He's now back in his father's good graces. As far as his father's concerned, the Avatar's dead. He's welcomed back into this world. Um, and all he had to do was sell out his uncle, and that's it. But he doesn't feel any personal satisfaction. He's, he's living back in the castle that he grew up in. Why doesn't it feel good? And it's just like, because it, it was never good. You're just living back with your, you know, conditional love of your father and like your, your weirdo sister. And the only person who truly like saw you as who you fundamentally were as a person is now in jail and you sold him out. You're not going to feel good about yourself. <laughs> Aang wakes up from his coma and like discovers, oh God, I lost. I lost the avid, like... <laughs> Everything's gone. I, I fucked it up. I am a failure. And he just kind of like has a crisis about it. It's like, what am I, what do I do now? There is no avatar anymore. Like as far as the world, like everybody thinks you're dead. And, you know, Sokka sees this as an opportunity in a war strategy thing. He reunites with his father. They're like, we have a plan. Um, as you know, like there's going to be an eclipse soon and we're still going to proceed with that plan. But now since everybody thinks you're dead, we can use it as a sneak attack instead of an all-out fight. But Aang's like... Oh, true. Yeah. Brilliant. Like, what? Yeah, so, like, there's an eclipse for the comet. This is clearly going to be like that we have to beat the Fire Lord on this day. We have the perfect day for it. Let's do it then. And now that you're, everybody thinks you're dead, it's actually going to work out better for us. And Aang's just like, no, I'm a failure. I lost. And that's when... Uh, his, you're 12. His, Sit down. You're fine. Literally. Yeah, no, that's like the whole like arc of this show is like, why does it all fall to the kids? And that's when this theme is revealed when the previous avatar, avatar Roku appears to him. And is like, no, Aang, you didn't fail. You've been picking up after my mistakes this entire time. I had an opportunity to stop this war over a hundred years ago. And instead I failed. I couldn't do it. And I'll tell you about this all in a bit. <laughs> and he's like, what? He's Please like, hold. no, he's like, you're going to be fine. But now both Zuko and Aang sort of have like what they want in life. Aang wakes up from his coma. He has a head of hair that cover his tattoos. He has the opportunity to become a kid again and not like the avatar. And it doesn't work for him. Like he doesn't want to be in disguise. He's finally at a place where he's like, I have to be the avatar. I have to save the world. I can't just like become an anonymous presence in this world. I have to do something. I have to act at all times. I can't just like sit by and let bad things happen. Cause the whole first half of season three is we're going to hang out in the Fire Nation colonies and get intel until it's time to get to the fight. We have a spot we have to be at. We're going to, you know, slowly make our way there and keep it on the DL the entire time. And it's kind of like almost like an inversion of season one where it's like, oh, it's like episodes that aren't necessarily super continuity driven. But the character arcs are progressing a lot faster than they were in season one. So you get stuff where like um, uh, Aang is like learning like we're all learning more about the culture of the fire nation and like how generally decent a lot of these people are and are all just fundamentally like under the same fascistic rule that the rest of the world is under there is a footloose episode where ang's like goes to school for the first time and i watched this episode a million times as a kid mm -hmm. because it like fuels the whole like school au fucking fan fiction everybody was into Mm -hmm. And goes to a school. They're like, yeah, we don't know anything about art and culture because we're just sort of trained to become future war machines. 
And he's like, well, you got to know about dancing. And he teaches kids about dancing and expression and self-identity in a world and a nation that doesn't have any of that. There's another episode where, uh, you know, they go to a fishing town and the whole water's polluted and none of the food is edible and none of the fish are, you know, all the fish are mutated. And Katara's like, I can't sit by and let these bad things happen. I need to help this town, you know, recover from this pollution problem. I'm going to go destroy that factory. And hey, yo. yeah, and it's Good like, her. and Sokka's just kind of like, we don't need to help every single person we come across. We could expose ourselves doing this. And she's like, no. There's good people everywhere. These are there are good people in every part of the world. These people are just as much of a victim as anybody else. Their plant, their land is polluted. They can't eat or drink anything because the water is polluted. All the fish are mutated. We're going to destroy this factory and we're going to liberate them. And Aang's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do that. I'll fucking blow up a factory. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Let's go. Yeah, and in another episode where uh, Katara, there's a lot of great Katara episodes in this stretch of episodes. Um, there's one where um, Toph and Katara are like having tips with one another and Katara's like kind of become like the maternal figure in this group. And Toph has like a lot of serious mother issues because she feels like she is, um, she sees like parental figures as authority figures and nobody else has that same relationship with family because everybody else in the group misses their family. Aang doesn't have one. Katara's mother's dead. She kind of like is embodying that mother role because like of her own personal hangups about not having a mother and she's just trying to be this maternal presence to somebody who had like a, to these people who've had like fundamentally bad lives and she and her are able to sort of like work past the issues that they have with each other in order to come to an understanding like hey i'm sorry you had a bad experience with you know your parents before and they like just wouldn't let you be who you were but i love you and that's just like man what a fun little episode and they, then oh they get to goodness. run and do scams together. It's great. Um, well, let's go blow up this factory. <laughs> let's go blow up this factory too. Um, and then there's another episode where Katara finds out that there is another uh, waterbender refugee that's been living in disguise in the Fire Nation this entire time. And she's the last waterbender of the Southern Water Tribe. It's like, finally, somebody who can re I can relate to. What was it like? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, a, I did a bunch of stuff. I was kidnapped by the Fire Nation. I was put in the Fire Nation prison. That shit all sucked. She's like, oh my God, that's horrible. All that horrible shit happened. And you knew my grandma? And he's like, yeah, I knew your grandma. We were close to each other. Like, it was, we were all close. We were like, it was all awful. Anyway, I got, I broke out of prison. And he's like, you broke out of prison? How'd you break out of prison? Oh, I can control the blood of people. <laughs> I can just like. Blood is so cool. It's fucking great. It's oh. a horror it's a horror episode. There's yeah. a lot of different genres that the show is able to explore. There's an apocalypse now episode in season one. Um, there's, there's heist episodes and then there's a fucking horror episode where we find out that this, uh, waterbender who was, you know, rightfully angry about the fact that a war that was started by these fucking colonists, um, put her in prison for substantial years of her life and she was tortured and kept imprisoned and had her hands bound so she couldn't use water bending against them. She learned how to bend blood and control the insides of people. And I'm going to teach that technique to you, Katara. And she's like, Oh my God, you're, you're horrifying. You're like, you're the reason all the people in town have been disappearing at night. Like you're the reason all this stuff happens. He's like, yeah, I did that because this fucking nation 
took everything that I had from me. And it's like, those people didn't do that. You're, you're going after the little guy when it's the big guy you need to be worrying about. Like you're doing the same thing, obviously like not to the same extent, you know, you know, relative things, but it's like going after the little guy is what like happened to you. And now I have to use bloodbending to take you down too. Damn. And it's another, just another, like episode after episode of them, like finding out, um, you know, Fire Nation people generally aren't so bad. It's really just like the same fascists that, you know, make the rest of the world bad are also making their own nation bad. Mm. Um, there's another, epi- yeah, there's a great Sokka episode in there too, where he uh, gets a sword made out of a space meteor uh, because he meets a Fire Nation um he meets this fire nation sword master who isn't a bender either. And he can do incredible things with sword techniques. And he teaches him how to use a sword. He teaches him how to forge his own sword, um, for own sword. He teaches him like about like honor and battle and everything like that. And Sokka's like, look, uh, you know, like you're talking about honor. You're talking about truth. I, I lied. I'm not actually like this, you know, fire nation man. I'm just this guy from the water tribe. Uh, I'm sorry that guy. I lied to you and manipulated to you. It's like, you know, and then he's like, that's too bad. And then they have a sword fight with one another. And then the guy at the end of the episode's like, I was just fucking with you, by the way. I I knew that you weren't fucking from the Fire Nation. You don't look like it. Your name's fucking Sokka. That's not a Fire Nation name. I'm, 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 I'm a cool old man. I don't give a shit about the war. I'm mm. part of, and then like he hands him like a white lotus tile, the same tile that Uncle Iroh <gasps> uses when he goes around places and plays games um and he's like check catch you later chief and he's like what the fuck was that about and he's like i don't know old people are weird i guess I, I love weird old people they're the best and yeah that all escalates into them going uh through the fire nation meanwhile zuko is like just sitting around for half the season going i'm really sad about all the things that i did and i'm really unhappy with what my life is like because i betrayed so many people I guess this wasn't really what I wanted after all. And Uncle Iroh's like, no shit, it wasn't what you wanted. I've been telling you that for two seasons. <laughs> and he like tells him to go to the catacombs and read some ancient scrolls left behind by his um, uh, great-grandfather, uh, Fire Lord Sozin, the person who perpetuated the genocide against the airbenders. And he's like, you're going to find the history of your destiny there. And he's like, okay, cool, I'll go do that. Uh, meanwhile, Aang is learning about, like, from Fire... Uh, avatar roku about like what do you mean you were the person who caused the 100 year war and he's like and these stories are running parallel to each other uncle uh um fire lord sozin um mizuko's great-grandfather and avatar roku were best friends with each other besties yeah and basically fire uh, the the the, gist of the whole thing is like i was too gay for avatar sozin to uh Take strike him down during this pivotal moment. I saw him slowly turn fascist and uh, want to control other nations. And instead of killing him, I just kept slapping him on the wrist and saying, oh, you don't do that. <laughs> and it's like, but I was like oh too emotionally God. connected to my best friend to do anything about it. And instead, like, um, when, and then Avatar Roku, when he's an old man, uh, the volcano near his house and, Ava, you know, Sozin came to help my village and evacuate people while I tried to deal with the volcano and try and make sure that it doesn't erupt and kill everybody and actually breathe in some toxic gas. And instead of getting help, Avatar Sozin, not Avatar, Fire Lord Sozin just watched me die. And 
he's like, you're my best friend, but I got to go take over the world and we can't have an avatar doing that. And uh... avatar Roku dies and then he's reincarnated as Aang. And then Zuko's like, what the fuck does that have to do with my destiny? Everybody fucking knows that story. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. I was telling you about your great grandfather's story. And he's like, yeah, I know. Fire Lord Sosa is my great grandfather. Yeah, I'm the fucking prince. I know that. He's like, no, your other great grandfather, Avatar Roku. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, your mother's grandfather was Avatar Roku. Your father obviously is the Fire Lord, but like your mother is related to the old Avatar. And he's like, I'm going to cry shit and throw up now. <laughs> you beat up cousins with the Avatar? You're like spiritual cousins with the Avatar. You're based, that's, Aang is your great grandfather, dude. <laughs> And he's like, oh, oh my, my God, I have to become a good guy again. And like, yeah, it's just these arcs of like, uh, basically the return of the Jedi plot of like, I have to kill my father now, fundamentally. Um, Zuko, during the day of Black Sun, when the people all end up raiding the Fire Nation during the blackout period where they can't firebend, uh, turns out that the Fire Nation knew that that was going to happen and they had contingencies for it and they couldn't save everybody and they couldn't they, they lost that battle and they have to retreat and they the second half of the season is them just sort of licking their wounds and trying to figure out what to do next uh but the big development that happens is zuko is like hey you <laughs> dad you lied about a bunch of shit and you're an evil fucking bastard man and fuck i wish you dad fuck you dad like he has like this big speech that's like he's talking directly to george w bush where he's like when I was raised as a kid, everybody talked about how wonderful the Fire Nation was and how we were, everybody in the world looked up to us because of how powerful and advanced we were. And that was a fucking lie. The whole world is afraid of us because we threaten them and hurt them and abuse them constantly. You're, you're, you're perpetuating a lie. And I got to witness it firsthand as a refugee because you kicked me out. You destroyed my life. And you didn't expect me to just confront you about all of this. I would kill you right now, but that's not my destiny. That's the Avatar's destiny. And I'm going to train him to fucking beat the shit out of you. So the second half of the season is like the destinies of Aang and Zuko finally intersecting. And their stories running parallel to one another instead of diametrically opposed. They become allies. And it's obviously like the next half of the season is like every character of the cast gets in a little episode adventure where they have to learn to trust Zuko. Kind of like the loyalty missions in like Mass Effect or something. Um, but it's, it's, it's great. Like you get to see like a three season long redemption arc for Prince Zuko who started as a bastard man, finally pay off in such a beautiful, wonderful way. And it's kind of like the most powerful redemption arc I've ever seen in media. And obviously like people uphold it as like great writing all the time. So I'm kind of being a dead horse here, but I just love that stuff so much. Uh And like this final confrontation the finale of Avatar The Last Airbender has been like a point of discourse among the series there's kind of like two main things that the avatar fandom really kind of fights about in my personal experience mm-hmm. uh which is the shipping wars because a lot of people are like uh, who who which characters should make out with which characters they're um, children oh. yeah and, yeah and it's just kind of that it's like is zuko and katara or zuko should ang should katara be with zuko or should katara be with ang and it's just kind of like that kind of fighting because the writing of the show is kind of like unimpeachable for the fandom, they're all like engaged with the show. So it's just kind of like who should date who instead. 
and we were all kids when it was airing. So like at the time, but yeah. like as an adult, I don't give a shit about this anymore. Yeah. Uh, Zuko and like you can see the arc of Zuko learning to accept himself and stop hating himself and, uh, you know, fighting the demons within himself as kind of like a parallel to coming out as bisexual or like coming out <gasps> as gay or something like that. What? You can, because like the broad strokes of it are kind of like, and I don't think it was intended in this way, no, but I do think that a lot of people sort of identify with the whole thing where it's like finding your identity, finding yourself not matching with a culture, finding yourself feeling like, you know, a diff finding yourself as fundamentally different from the world around you and not having any acceptance from your family about it. That's kind of a queer parallel. I can see that. I'm just having myself a little moment of uh, I did one gay thing and I got violently ill. <laughs> <laughs> Crying, <laughs> shitting, more. and throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm gay. Yeah. Am I gay for God? The Avatar? Who knows? Um, Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, it's great stuff. And again, like the parallels to real world terrorism and America's perpetuation of violence. It's all great. It all ties in back into Zuko and his arc. And that kind of just kind of becomes like the stealth MVP of the show. And then the point of contention, like I was talking about earlier, there's like the shipping war stuff with like the romance aspect of Avatar. And then there's like another dispute among the Avatar fandom, which is how the finale goes about, which is uh, basically Zuko's like, hey, listen, Sozin's Comet's coming in like a few days. We have to defeat the Fire Lord by then, no matter what. Otherwise, like the because I know based on my time with him that he, his plan is going to be 9-11-2. I'm going to he, the first hey, time he, the first time Sozin's Comet came around, they destroyed the Air Nation. This time they're going to torch the entire Earth Kingdom, which is supposed to be like the size of China, mm -hmm. relatively speaking. And they're like, yeah, he's going to commit like a mass, mass, mass genocide. It's just going to be the fire. It's just going to be the fire nation and nothing else from now on. Scorched earth. You have to kill him. And he's like, kill him. He's like, yeah, die. He has to die. You have to kill him. He's kill like, never, my dad. <laughs> you have to kill my dad. And he's like, I, I can't kill your dad. I can't kill anybody. It's against my culture to do that. I'm a monk. I'm supposed to be fundamentally a pacifist. I'm supposed to end conflicts. I'm not supposed to kill people over it. And he's like, motherfucker, you, he kills people. He's going to kill everybody. You have to kill him. <laughs> One or a couple billion choose. It, it's like, do you, does, he's like, look, I'm the last airbender. I have to be the representation of every single part of my culture. I am the last living piece of it. I'm not just the avatar. I am Aang, an airbender. I wear these tattoos. I have to, I have to embody my culture. I can't kill and take a life. I don't have that in me. Not intentional. Maybe spirit, maybe avatar spirit Aang, the one who like goes into the avatar state in his eyes and tattoos go. Maybe he's killed hundreds, but I haven't killed anybody consciously. And he's yeah. like, come on, you gotta kill him. You gotta kill him. And all of it, like the previous Avatar lives are like, yeah, I've killed people before. It's no big deal. You got to do it sometimes. It's just, yeah, I'm looking at you, Kyoshi. <laughs> Kyoshi is like immediately like, yeah, fucking kill him. <laughs> I, do, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and Aang's like, what do I do? I can't. Oh, God, I'm crying, shitting, throwing up. I got to kill this guy. Oh, um, no. And he doesn't uh, because like the person he's having, um, he ends up encountering like the spirit of a giant turtle. Like, do you know what a kappa is? Yes. Yeah, it's like that spiritual idea of like this island-sized turtle who um, 
is this ancient spirit like who probably existed well before human beings and bending in general have ever existed. And he's just like, hey, buddy, there are there's way more to the world than, you know, even you, the avatar can comprehend. And, you know, there's more than one way to skin a catfish. So let me just like poke you on the head really quickly and give you the knowledge of what you have to do. So you know what you have to do when you confront the uh, the Fire Lord. He's like, okay, I guess. Cool beans. Thanks, um, man. Meanwhile, uh, Zuko's like, I'm going to go fight my sister uh, because they're going to go and attack Bossing. Say, um, at this point, Uncle Iroh has broken out of prison uh, using the Day of Black Sun uh, as a cover to break out of prison. It turns out he was getting swole as fuck the entire time. Dude, when that scene, I saw that scene as an adult, I was like, oh my god, Uncle Iroh. Yeah, he just like oh. beats the shit out of every prison. He has a favorite prisoner who is actually voiced by Serena Williams. Um, because Serena Williams is a huge fan of the show. And I guess she just asked if she could be, uh, like in an episode. So she plays like a random prison guard who like watches over uncle Iroh and actually likes him and takes care of him in the prison. And he literally like says, don't come to work tomorrow. Oh my God. (laughs) He says, you look sick. You should stay home tomorrow. And he's like, what are you talking about? Stay home from work tomorrow. Cause I'm going to rip the bars off of the cell and beat every single person I see to a pulp. <laughs> I like you. Stay home. <laughs> You're yeah. sick. <laughs> Literally. That's like mostly word for word what happens. Um, but yeah. Zuko's like, Zuko finds his uncle and he's like crying and saying like, I did so many horrible things. I'm so sorry I did that to you. I'm sorry I put you in prison. I'm sorry I chose my sister over you. I'm sorry I was just so horrible to you for all my life. And Iroh just isn't saying anything at all to him. And he's just like, I, I need, I, I, I'm sorry. And I don't earn, I know I can't earn your forgiveness. And then like Uncle Iroh just embraces him. And he's just like, no, you're my nephew. I love you so much. You're like everything to me. And I'm so glad that you finally found yourself on the right path. Oh, and boy. It's so emotional and it's great. And then he's like, by the way, I'm part of a secret society of old people who <laughs> beat the living shit out of people to protect uh, the world. And it's that sword guy that gave Sokka <laughs> a meteor sword. And it's King Boomy, Aang's 112 old friend. And uh, it's Jong Jong, the initial person who was going to teach Aang firebending until he accidentally burned Katara. And... uh which I, I skipped over, but that's the Apocalypse Now episode from season one. Uh, just all that stuff. And you're just like, hey, yeah, secret society of old people. All old people know each other. We're just going to uh, go and use our old people powers to go and protect this, you know, city of Bossing, say, and you can go and uh, fight your sister. And he's like, great, perfect. Zuko goes, Sick, thanks. <laughs> fights his sister in this really emotional battle. His sister's obviously teetering on an edge, uh, realizing like, you know, being... The, the favorite of a father who never really truly loved just like getting to her never having like the love everybody sort of seeing me as a monster my entire life has turned me into the monster that everybody thinks i am so here's me i'm just gonna go completely fucking insane now and zuko's like look you're my sister i'm not gonna kill you katara help me beat the shit out of my sister <laughs> thank you for posting that very funny meme in the chat about I, that we'll I, every time 
I think about Azula, this is all I see. Yeah. This her, is all. <laughs> the bangs just completely like, yeah, I cut my bangs to show that I've gone insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goodness. Very funny. But yeah, but ultimately. And this is the return of the Jedi parallel. This story beat is what I've been walking up to for way too long here. Um, the finale of Avatar is Aang and the Fire Lord's Ozai fight. And everybody's saying, you got to kill him. Just like in Return of the Jedi, all the old Jedi are like, you got to kill your father. That's what you got to do. And Luke's sort of hemming and hawing about it like, I can't. He's my father. He is a human being in there. Just because he did a bunch of genocide doesn't mean I can just kill him. And Obi-Wan Kenobi as a ghost, he's like, he killed me. Go kill him. <laughs> kill him. Do it. Do it. It's fine. But uh, in Return of the Jedi, which, you know, the most emotional moment of that movie is um, Luke, you know, in a fit of rage, like beating the shit out of his dad and then chopping off his hand the same way that his hand was off and seeing that his hand are just his arm it's just like a bunch of wires and shit poking out and he's like oh my god you also had your arm cut off at one point just like you cut off my own hand you are a machine you're not you're a person underneath there you are also just like a victim of like the dark side like i i have to like he he sees himself and empathizes with his father in that moment and he rejects the idea of having to kill darth vader says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. I'm not going to give in to the anger and rage inside of me. I'm not going to do what everybody tells me to do and kill and take a life. I'm not going to do it because the Emperor told me to do it. I'm not going to do it because the Jedi told me to do it. I think there is good in you and you know that. And that's when Darth Vader, like, you know, has his redemption moment and, you know, teams up with his son to defeat the Emperor. Aang... And obviously this isn't a one-for-one -one story beat, but he also mm -hmm. has like, you know, kill the emperor basically, or like, you know, kill Zuko's dad, I guess him and, you know, Mark Hamill in this case, evil Mark Hamill <laughs> is like going to destroy the entire planet uh, or at least the entire continent. And he's like, I'm not going to kill him. I, my culture was a culture of pacifism. I can't, I have to carry on the legacy of the airbenders, not just the legacy of the avatars who are comfortable taking a life. This is an extreme that I can't go to. And I, if I go through with the murder, and this isn't really text, but so much it's just like what happens. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like if he, if he kills Fire Lord Ozai, like he basically destroyed, like he's basically like, you know, it's like kind of like I betray the culture that this family works so hard to destroy. And I can't let like the legacy of the airbenders being like, you know, a life for a life. I have to like make it something new. So that power that uh, the giant Kappa turtle gives him is actually the ability to take away people's bending. And it nearly destroys Aang doing it physically. Like he almost like dies doing it, but he takes the bending away from Fire Lord Ozai. He takes away the weapons with which he was about to destroy the world rather than to just kill him. And... <sighs> Yeah, it's a powerful moment because he doesn't have to use the tools of violence to ultimately defeat this great evil. And he gets to like keep his hands clean and his culture's hands clean of being an accessory to, you know, destruction or what his culture would consider like taking a life. 
And I think it's a powerful moment, but a lot of people are just like, well, this kid's show on Nickelodeon probably should have gone through with depicting murder on a TV. And it's like, look, <laughs> this is also another way for like a TV show that's fundamentally for seven-year-olds and up that airs on Nickelodeon, the SpongeBob channel to like defeat the bad guy without having to depict a death on TV because censorship rules. The show airs at like 8 p.m. on a Friday night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I honestly think that that's just a much more powerful ending I as do. a whole than just murder the bad guy. Yeah. And yeah, it is obviously like, oh, we have like censorship things we have to take into consideration and Aang's a monk. But I do think like ultimately it is the more powerful ending. And yeah, I can see why people would try and like extrapolate real life uh, ethics into the content that they consume and say like, well, in real life, we should have done this. So therefore that, and it's just kind of like, well, there's magic in this universe. So we don't have to resort to those sort of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So without meaning to, it just would have gotten to the entire plot of Avatar The Last Airbender to explain a few Star Wars uh, allegories. Um, what do you think? <gasps> I'm so blown away right now. Um, so obviously Avatar The Last Airbender is in a very sentimental, loving spot for many people. Um, I don't think I know many people who haven't seen it in our age group. Mm -hmm. Um, and if they haven't, they will very soon, most likely at some mm -hmm. point in their lives. But, um, I think it's absolutely incredible when I get to see a medium that I've consumed in a new way, like through someone else's eyes or with more information I didn't have previously, like, cannot tell you how many times i've read and watched uh through chainsaw man to look at all the different angles and get that background story on the mangaka and you mm -hmm. know what it was trying to, to pull that apart like it's my favorite activity because i get to experience the same thing again but in a whole new light and so you've provided that for me today and i hopefully for uh listeners as well of not only did i get to just sit and like drink up uh avatar the last airbender in like an hour and a half but um <laughs> i've got to see so much more depth in it with its story and like the intentions and of course obviously star wars mm -hmm. um this has been incredible thank you so much <laughs> oh absolutely and like the way that this show just like it means so much to me more than just like the actual act of you know consuming this show right uh the mm -hmm. finale of avatar the last airbender actually aired on july 19th 2008 which was my 12th birthday so oh. the show that i grew up with over the past three years ends literally on my birthday and i wow. honestly i could not ask for a better present i think i'm still living up to that to this day but it, it just feels like the way that this show feels built for me like this is a show i always considered my favorite and it ends on that specific day i just can't ignore the timing of that for some reason clearly i'm the main character of reality um <laughs> but no, this is a show that like fundamentally altered the way I consume media. It like did not condescend in its storytelling. It was didn't have airs about itself, but it was also a show that didn't talk down despite its intended audience being a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, and it made me get into fan fiction for the first time. I wrote fan fiction for this that uh oh my goodness. I was on like nick.com, the actual website for nickelodeon.com had a message board. And the most the two most active message boards were the Avatar message board and the Avatar fan fiction message board that they had to like make into a separate board because so many people were using that Avatar board just to write fan fiction. So 
Yeah, I, I wrote YouTube a- popping off. Oh, sorry. I was like, mm-hmm. man, YouTube was popping off at that time too, or like Newgrounds animations and stuff. Yeah, no, like 2005, I think was like when YouTube started too, which is like when Avatar started. So there's like AMV culture happening around all this. There's fan fiction, shipping, discourse, that kind of stuff. So there is like the brainworm stuff about that, right? But then like on a fundamental like media consumption level, this is like a show that like compelled me to really, really engage with its themes about what it's trying to like say because you get into like the speculation of it and then you don't want to just like learn about the narrative you want to learn about the world and you don't just want to learn about the world but you want to learn about the people who made it and when you're learning about the people who made it you're also learning about like what their influences are and then Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah people aren't like references aren't just something that you make to like be like oh i am your father because haha it's like star wars (laughs) you can make (laughs) cultural references to things because they always had these interviews airing where like oh here is a sifu kisu who is like our person who knows martial arts and he provides like the the visuals that we need to depict these martial arts forms on our little cartoon that we make for you guys there's a lot of artistry that goes into this and I remember uh, that yeah it was, what was the what was it? it was like one of those nickelodeon extra like in between episodes or something where they were showing mm-hmm. how like the and how the influence like what martial arts style were uh like picked from for the different uh like the earth kingdom and the water fire nation like i thought that was so cool i distinctly remember this and i was waiting for it to come up it's like ah yes that's a key (laughs) memory right there core memory yeah yeah and the character the guy who did all the martial arts for that becomes like the sword master like they give him like they use his actual like likeness for the sword master character that teaches sokka how to sword fight as like a little like tribute to him (gasps) yeah it's I'm so sorry. You please go ahead. No, that's it. Okay. So that also reminds me, I read something probably in the last three or four years. Uh, I don't use Facebook very much, but when I did, I followed an, uh, an avatar, the last airbender fan page. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love seeing the shit they would say. Like they just had the best stuff, tattoos and just fun facts or like shots of Tumblr posts. And uh, one of the things was that I thought, you know, because we talked a lot, a lot today about how Aang and uh, Zuko have a lot of like intertwining destiny or, you know, a lot of oil going on. Mm-hmm. But I never realized that Sokka learned all of the main non-bending techniques. So, like, we've got the Avatar who knows all the different uh bendings but Sokka learned everything that was like non-bending from every place that they went to and I just never picked up on that for whatever reason I thought that was so cool yeah no it's really wonderful stuff he becomes a soldier in the the northern wanda tribe he learns sword fighting in the fire nation he learns the kyoshi warriors like you know fighting technique in the like the fourth or fifth episode of the show it's Mm -hmm. it's great he becomes he's as central to the cast as everybody else despite his non-bending abilities which is great because like he could easily just have been relegated to comic relief but they have this beautiful arc for him where he actually learns um you know to play to his strengths and the show like really says like look you don't have to be necessarily powerful in the literal sense to be you know incredible like he this is a teenager who over the course of the show invents the hot air balloon mm-hmm. and <laughs> all that kind of stuff he then becomes like a master war tech you know oh, master good. war tactician and it's also insane because like 
you know, these teenagers are fighting war and that's obviously a problem and that's something that they go into. And like that kind of horror plays up a lot because it's a bunch fundamentally just teenagers cleaning up after the messes left by the generations before it. And Sanka's just this beautiful representation of that because even though he can't bend, he's just literally just a normal teenager on like a power level basis. He still does so much to change the world. He's such a good bean. Such a good little guy. I'm so proud yeah. of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then... Oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. I, I'm sorry I'm talking so much. But, like, one thing that really... um, Like, I, like this is a show that's been with me since I was, you know... Like, even after the show ended when I was 12 years old, there's just ways this show just keeps burying itself in me to the point that it's still, like, a lifelong hyperfixation. Like, I've... We watched this show countless times. Um, I like uh, there was the sister channel for Nickelodeon called the Nick Nicktoons Network because the main Nickelodeon channel wouldn't really do reruns for this. So if you wanted to uh, watch episodes of Have a Total Last Airbender with any level of regularity, you had to watch this sister channel, which wasn't usually on basic cable packages. But my dad had satellite TV, so I was able to catch it there. And once in a while they would do like these VH1 style pop-up episodes that would talk about like the creation of the episode and like fun facts and like little commentary bits or like things like that. And it really mm -hmm. like made me re like really rewatch the show, like with these pop-ups because you just want to take in as much new information about this thing that you love as much as possible. Um, and then like, obviously like the love keeps being continued because like you have to read about like production information about the upcoming avatar the last airbender movie which was not good it wasn't good i like m night Shyamalan. honestly i like a lot of his movies uh i love avatar the last airbender but that movie is notoriously considered to be like one of the worst movies ever released and it's unfortunate hmm. um and then of course there's a sequel series legend of core which we won't really talk about but that does like it's a series I like. Um, it's a series I really enjoy. I just do not want to spend any time like going over that series much either. But like more reasons for me to keep being involved with this world and engaging with this world and um, revisiting it again in 2020 when the Netflix uh, put Korra and Avatar um, like on the Netflix service so I could stream them again for the first time in what felt like forever. It's like, man, this every single bit of this holds up exactly as I remember it, even though I haven't watched it in years. Mm -hmm. And I ended up watching the finale again on my birthday in July 19th, 2020, just to like have that parallel there. Um, and I did like this live tweet thread of me, like rewatching this series, like from front to back and the timing of it just sort of kind of lined up to it being my birthday again. Cause I was slowly making my way through the series. You're wild. And that's crazy. That's so cool. Yeah. Right. Uh, and just stuck with this series forever. So now I have like 400 tweets in like one long thread, uh, that I have, uh, on Twitter where you can read literally every single one of my dumb avatar and legend of Korra thoughts. If you could, if you enjoyed this episode, you're more than welcome to look on there on at Danny Vegito. It's under my pinned tweet, uh, thread. Um, but yeah, no, this, the show means so much to me and it again, fundamentally just changed the way I appreciate art and I can't thank it enough for that. And thank you for sharing this with me and, and all of us and everyone who will listen, like I'm, I'm actively like trying to figure out how to convince my child to sit down and watch the series with me. 
Sometimes you just got to put it on. Like You're nine years old. You're old enough. It's time. I was slightly younger when it started for me. So yeah, I think, I think this is the perfect tried. age for it. I feel like we tried last year. They just turned nine. So it's like, I think we tried last year, but ADHD, you know, it's hard to sit still. It's hard to focus. But I mean, for sure. But like, like mm. and that's the thing, right? Like I, like my lifelong ADHD, um, has made me hyper fixate on a lot of things over in my life. And I think the thing that really works is like time and place. And that's like the, the biggest, like those are the two biggest parts of the equation that causes hyperfixation. Where are you in your life? Yeah. Like I love the Godfather. The Godfather is a, a <laughs> wonderful movie. It's a movie I really deeply enjoy, but I don't think about the Godfather the way that I think about this, this cartoon uh, that I watched on Nickelodeon when I was eight through 12 years old and it's fundamentally changed the course of my life in a way that that movie hasn't, you know, the, the Godfather, you like, you don't really get to pick and choose what you obsess over, but like it chooses it, you, it chooses you. And if it's great enough, it can fundamentally make your life a better thing. And I think that's the big takeaway from all this. So don't be ashamed of your mm -hmm. hyperfixation. Thrive in it, live in it, enjoy mm -hmm. it, share it. Tell me about it. <laughs> Agreed. Thank, Thank you for goodness. having me on. This is wonderful. I'm glad that, <sighs> uh, like, I, you know, this is a wonderful show. I like listening to it. I like hearing people talk oh. about the things that they love. Thank you. And I think you're a great host, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the little fingers, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, no, it's been an absolute blast. Like, I mean, I know I've been I've been mostly just sitting here and nodding and I'm staring at a little discord green ring pop on. I'm like, mm -hmm, yes, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have new spending powers? I'm trying to make a really bad Greece reference. Is oh, that yeah. Greece? I Danny Zuko was in. Yeah, Greece. But um, oh, I just I'm so blown away. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm going to go rewatch this. Did it. You done it. You done did it. You Thank activated the core memories, and now I'm going to do this, and now I'm going to make my kid watch it. Oh, it's a very um, easy show to watch, too, because it's just 61 20 to 23 minute episodes. Um, first season is super easy to get through because they're all like pretty self contained stories. And then by the time the finale rolls around, you should be locked in, and then you just won't be able to stop talking about it ever again mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. I'm looking up. Where can I watch Avatar The Last Airbender? I think it might still be on Netflix. And if not, it might be on Paramount because Paramount just has all the Nickelodeon stuff on it. Yes. It's on. Yeah. Okay. I don't have Netflix. I have Paramount Plus. Um, the Roku channel? The Avatar Roku channel. What? <laughs> <laughs> Look at them go. Prime Video, Voodoo, or Apple TV. Okay. Um, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, d for for arriving in my messages and being like, it's time. <laughs> um, it has been an absolute pleasure to hear about your lifelong hyperfixation. Um, you were phenomenal and very eloquent. Like, oh, my goodness. So much good information. So organized so well. Not that it was required to be at all. Um, I would have followed along if we were dumping Legos on the floor. Do not fret. But yeah. Yeah. Um, just I'm glad we kind of landed that plane kiss. because like once I was actually, I didn't actually write down most of the plot stuff. So I was just kind of like, you uh, from memory summoning. <laughs> you did great. 
Thank um, you. I appreciate it. Is there any, uh, I know that we're kind of in the, the down the ending phase. Is there any you'd like to share before uh, we, we wrap things up? Uh, yeah. Uh, just once again, please listen to Select and Start. It's a wonderful little show that I'm super proud of making. I have wonderful guests on there. Uh, Roma, again, open invitation. If you ever think of a game where you would like to come on, I would be more than happy to talk about it with you because I have a great time talking to you about things. and you would be able to sort of lead the conversation the way that I sort of did today on your show. So I'd be know. able to return the favor and I will just talk your ear. Off. I don't even know if name drop what the video game is going to be on, on here, just in case I decide to, to do something else. But mm-hmm. I assure you, um, I will, I will bring my a game and you everything you need to know about that game. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, if you like listening to me or just my, general thoughts outside of video games uh you can also uh, follow me on twitter at danny vegito um and you can get i have a pin tweet that has all of the stuff that i make my youtube channel the little video edits that i make my podcast uh and my long ass avatar and avatar core thread that i referenced earlier you'd be able to cite all of that and get more advanced thoughts if you did somehow did not get enough from this conversation and if you're from you know, one of my shows or just know me and you were listening to Roma show, please listen to more of the hyperfixation. It's a really worthwhile oh, show. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll do a little wiggle. <laughs> my little show. Me. My friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, so, so you, you dropped your Twitters and you dropped your YouTubes. Is there any other links or any ads you want to drop? Uh, no, that's everything. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to do my little ads. Go well, for it. I'm gonna do it. yeah. I'm gonna do it. You can find me on the internet at I appreciate your butt at the twitter.com. That is I A P P R E C I, the number eight U R B U T T, um, where I will not shut the fuck up. And uh, you can find this podcast as a whole at twitter.com forward slash the hyperfix pod. Uh, same on Tumblr and TikTok. And um, our podcasts were powered by the almighty and beautiful rock in the sky moonshot network. So you can find them at moonshot pods on Twitter and moonshot.mov uh, for their YouTube and Twitch, which as of, as of recording the moon carnival is going on and it's phenomenal. And I think we reached 6,000. I think I just saw a message for 6,000. Wow. So it's been incredible. So you should go check out those VODs and um, give them a follow. And, uh, I think I'm going to plug in the rest of the plugs in post or I'll make Kingdom do it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Offuscate at O-F-U-S-K-A-T-E for the intro and outro music. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. And also thank you to the Moonshot Network. You can find them at twitch.tv forward slash Moonshot Network, twitter.com forward slash Moonshot Pods, or you can support them on Patreon and all the podcasts in the network at patreon.com forward slash Moonshot Network. Our patrons for this month who get a shout out on the podcast are Ver, Becky Scott Fairley, Ken, and Flo. Thank you so much for y'all's support and keep being awesome. I love you guys. <laughs> um, so thank you again for for being on my little show. Um, I'm definitely gonna arrive into your podcast at any given point in time. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a surprise for both of us.
Yeah, but I can't wait for that. And thank you again for having me on your show. If you ever need somebody to talk your ear off about anything else, let me know. Oh, you have a you have an infinite invite for any other seasons. Uh, my show's like fifteen episodes a season. We're getting towards the end of this one, so next season, if you 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 could just slap that ticket on the table and be like, "It's time," and I'll be like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and thank you, listener. You're the best. We love you. Make sure you drink water and you be safe and you don't die and take your vitamins. Don't touch grass for too long. And but do.